Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Carla Norton, the author of the riveting Reeve LeClaire series, the second of which, What Doesn't Kill Her, is being released tomorrow, June 30th. Carla, welcome. Thank you, Stephen. Great to be here. This is a busy time for you because you also have a book release event on July 1st, which is kind of cool. It is a busy time. Yes, I'm having a, a book signing at Murder on the Beach Bookstore at Delray Beach, and then I'm going to New York, and I'm having a book uh, book launch there at Book Culture. Oh, well, it can't be any better than Murder by the murder on the Beach. Is it Murder on the Beach or Murder by the Beach? I always get them confused. It's Murder on the Beach. Okay, it's just a wonderful little bookstore. It's one of my favorites. It's, abs- it's absolutely wonderful for events. So anyway... Thanks for being here today. Uh, Let's get started by talking a little bit about your extremely unique protagonist, Reeve LeClaire. Well, Reeve is, she is unusual. I think of her as kind of Elizabeth Smart meets Clarice Starling in that she is a survivor of kidnapping and captivity. Um, The uh, first book is when she's 22. The second one is when she's 23. And um, she has come a long way since um, she was kidnapped at age 12 and rescued at age 16. So she has scars. She's She has psychological damage, but she's also quite resourceful and has an inner toughness that she comes to realize as she's called upon to help others who um, are in dire situations. And she was first called upon in the first book in this series, which was The Edge of Normal, which was an absolutely wonderful book. Um, That was the first time she was called upon. Uh, She seems to have grown a bit between the first book and the second book. That's right, yes. In the first book, um, you know, she's so young at 22, um, but she's, she's still trying to deal with the psychological issues that she has, the post-traumatic stress, if you will, that she has. And it starts off with her meeting with her psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Lerner, who's an expert on captivity syndromes. And um, as an expert, he's called upon to help another survivor, a 13-year-old who's just been rescued from a captive situation. And the family asked to talk to Reeves. And the two girls bond, Reeve at 22 and Tilly at 13. Um, And things seem to be going well for both of them until Tilly swears her to secrecy and tells her that her uh, one of her two kidnappers is still out there and she thinks he might be a cop. So that's how the first book is set up. And Reeve finds herself in a situation where she can't divulge what she's been told, and um, she begins to pick up on things that, because of her unique personality and what she's been through, that she perceives things that other people might have missed. So uh, the first book is, um, uh, I was very delighted that it was a Thriller Award finalist for Best First Novel, and um, the second book picks up a year later, when mm-hmm. she's um, a, uh, a a student at UC Berkeley, she's 23 and uh, living in the Bay Area. Both books, um, she's she's based in the Bay Area. Bay Area. The first book, The Edge of Normal, uh, takes place in Northern California, which is where I grew up. And the second book takes her back to 
Washington State. What happens in the sec- second book, uh, right off the bat, is that Reeves kidnapper, who's been in a mental lockup facility in Washington State, escapes. And so then it's a question of what does she do? I mean, she she can't ignore it. It becomes, I mean, they are really two sides of the same coin. And in a sense, they define each other, captor and captive. And she can't shake uh, what has happened to her. Uh, he's imprinted on her psyche. And she can figure out things about him that other people can't. And so she ends up going back to Washington State and pairing up with Milo Bender, who's really a great character, He, I think. Mm-hmm. He's a retired FBI agent, you know, kind of a, a tough guy who's been forced into early retirement because of triple bypass surgery. And the two of them embark on... Uh, a kind of amateur investigation that turns into something quite serious. And that takes place in Washington, where I was living um, for about a year and a half uh, while I was finishing my MFA several years ago. Mm -hmm. You and I first met uh, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, at SleuthFest. And I was turned on to your work by Aline Cogdell, who's been a guest of this show, and, and I'm sure you know Aline. Aline is uh, one of the top mystery and thriller reviewers in the country, and I asked her who I should talk to, and uh, one of the first people she pointed to was you. So you and I connected after that, and then it's it's literally been a year and a half trying to put this interview together. Well, that is just really Wonderful to hear. I had uh, I had no idea that she was our connection. Yeah, she's been wonderful. Um, in fact, she just came out with a, a nice review the other day um, of what doesn't kill her. So I I really appreciate that. So yes, it's been it's been uh, a, a while. Actually, what doesn't kill her took a little longer than I thought it would uh, to come out. So um, I'm actually glad that my editor. Uh, refused my first <laughs> early drafts and, and made me continue working because I was trying to get Reeve to do things that, in fact, she wouldn't do. Uh-huh. And uh, so now I think it resonates uh, much more honestly. And, and it's been great because I'm getting these responses from people who didn't know anything about The Edge of Normal. Mm-hmm. They just picked up uh, uh, What Doesn't Kill Her. They're reading that book first. And it's and it works as a standalone, but then they're going back and reading the earlier books. You can re- read them in either order, which is really nice. And I don't see how you could read the second book without wanting to go back and, and read the first book, because she's just such an engaging, uh, compelling character that you want to learn more about her. I, I, I am curious as, as to how you're going to be able to continue to put her in these situations as time goes by, because in each of the first two books, the situations have been somewhat unique. I've got some thoughts on how you're probably going to do it, but uh, you, I'm sure you have your thought, your own thoughts as well. I'm pretty sure you're going to be surprised. <laughs> oh, good. I like to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's not predictable. Well, good. Good. Now, Carla, you bring a unique perspective to writing thrillers. And for people who are pure thriller readers or crime fiction readers, they may not know that, that you've written a couple of nonfiction books. Uh, you had a number one New York Times bestselling book called Perfect Victim. Can you describe, tell us a little bit about that book and how that gave you the insight into this series? Well, that book is about an incredible story. Um, a young woman 
a 20-year-old young woman was kidnapped and held captive for seven years. I'm not making this up. It happened in Northern California, in Red Bluff, California, very near where I grew up. And when I first heard about that case, I just thought that can't possibly be true. I don't believe that would happen. And this is before I understood anything about Stockholm Syndrome or PTSD or brainwashing as in layperson's terms. But the more I found out about it, the more I, I just couldn't stop asking questions. There's, she was forced to sign a slavery contract. She was kept in horrific conditions, extreme deprivation and abuse. And um, so I uh, actually I was the odd thing is I was living in Tokyo when I heard about this case. I was mm. working as an associate editor with the Japanese edition of Reader's Digest. And um, then the story started being picked up on the on the uh, AP wire and run in the English language daily in Tokyo. And the more I read about it, the more fascinated I became. So I, when I came back to the States, I found out more. I was there on vacation. I found out more about the mind control issues, and I decided to uh, cover the trial. So I covered the trial. It was a six-week trial. I interviewed all the characters I possibly could, and I partnered with the prosecutor of the case, and we wrote Perfect Victim together, which um, details the crime and also the uh, the prosecution and the trial. And uh, amazingly, that story was uh, picked up by the FBI. Uh, uh, someone on the behavioral sciences unit, uh, train, one of their trainers there in Quantico, put it on the reading list for BSU. And then, um, yes, it made the New York Times bestseller list, which was astonishing. The thing about that story, though, is that it just really got its claws into me. It gave me nightmares, and I, it's not the kind of thing that you can write about and forget, even though I thought nothing like this would ever happen again in real life. It really stayed with me. Um, I stayed friends with the victim, with uh, Colleen Stan, who's doing... So now she is a survivor, and in, so, in, a, in a very real way, Perfect Victim is about victimization, and that's nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And The Edge of Normal and What Doesn't Kill Her are both about a survivor. And those are both fiction. I was really nervous about how Colleen Stan would feel about my books. And so um, The Edge of Normal uh, uh, was the first book. She, she read that, and then she called me just a few days later, and I was really nervous. But she called and she thanked me for um, doing such a good job. She said that she felt like I really listened to her and that I really understood what she was going through, which was terrific because, of course, I was never privy to her psychiatric right. questions mm -hmm. with her, her psychiatrist. Um, and I will be sending her a copy of What Doesn't Kill Her as soon as I have a chance. So, um, yes, that it, I have a very personal connection um, to what goes on with victims and these kinds of crimes. And uh, one of the things that that would lead me to believe that she's really going to like this book is is that Reeve is, is becoming a very heroic character um, by overcoming all these things and 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 using her mind to overcome some of the some of the mental issues that she's dealing with as as her kidnapper escapes from prison and he's just out there again. It's uh, she's she's just a wonderful character. 
Thank you so much. That's so great to hear because that's what I, you know, that's what I like to read. I, I love to read thrillers. And um, the problem is that a lot of the thrillers are very testosterone-driven. And even though <laughs> yes. I adore Jack Reacher, it's mm-hmm. hard for me to identify with someone who's six foot four, two hundred twenty pounds of muscle, and is trained in every kind of military maneuver you could possibly do. So I wanted to have a character who's really fairly ordinary. She's not particularly tall. She's not trained in martial arts. It's not her job to fight crime. She's not a cop. She's not a lawyer. Um, she's a survivor of a horrible crime who has inner resources and a real drive and a very hot sense of justice. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of, it's cathartic for me to write about her <laughs> because I get to, I get to, uh, uh, take revenge on those really bad guys who need bad things to happen to them. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you that question. What's and I, I think you've given the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I think it's an interesting question. What's harder, writing about real life monsters and and what they've really done in real life, or making them up and then being able to do with them as you want? Oh, the the fictional villains are really kind of fun to write because um, you're. you're you can set them up and have them do whatever you wish them to do. The real-life villains are so chilling and disturbing. Um, Cameron Hooker, who was the kidnapper, the real kidnapper of Coinstan, um, was sentenced to 104 years, and the judge mentioned his callousness and remorselessness. And uh, that is typical of psychopaths. I've done a lot of research on the psychology of evil, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually, I wrote a piece uh, about whether psychopaths can be rehabilitated for the Atlantic uh, and did a lot of interviewing for that. Um, And it's been explained to me that psychopaths are kind of like, if you want to make a parallel, uh, like people who are colorblind. It's not something that they... You, you can't correct it, right? It's not something you can fix. And, in fact, they don't see anything wrong with themselves. That's the really striking thing is that they don't apologize for what they've done. They might be remorseful if they've been caught. But um, And we're talking about these extreme cases, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was explained to me that psychopathy exists on a continuum, that um, some psychopaths might run businesses for Example: You might have worked for one, and but apparently they're they're not as uncommon as we think. But again, it's on a continuum, like um, like anything. There are some people who are manipulative in a in a small situation on a lo- on a minor scale, and other people who become more and more um, predatory, if you will. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the real ones when you when they give you nightmares you wake up in a sweat and feel despair. And the fictional ones, when they give you nightmares, you wake up in a sweat and think, oh, this is great. I can use this in my fiction. (laughs) That's great. Now, the Daily Mail calls your writing style Hitchcock-like, and they also say that you, Carla Norton, could become one of the finest female thriller writers of your generation. That's pretty high praise. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of hyperbolic, but I, I do love hearing it. I, <laughs> I thought you would. That's why I threw it in. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the reviews have been terrific. I've been r- really flattered by the reviews. 
I, I think that reviewers love your books, readers love your books, I've loved your books, uh, and I think listeners are really going to enjoy this when they have the opportunity to read it. And I would agree that you can read these two books in either order. So uh, whichever you can get your hands on first, it'd be a good idea to do that. Carla, what's the best way for readers to keep up with you and your work? Oh, they can always come to my website. Um, it's carlanorton.com. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Twitter at Carla J at Carla J Norton. Um, I'm on Facebook, and there are a lot of Carla Nortons. So it's Carla Norton, novelist and true crime writer, the, the long version. So that way, I'm easy to find. Um, and on on Goodreads, of course, too. Yes, and I will link to all of this in the show notes. So, Carla, uh, best of luck with the release. Have fun at the release events that you've got coming up. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a review or a rating. Those help other readers find great new books like What Doesn't Kill Her from Carla Norton. Thanks for listening.